welcome to the show. Happy Monday. And if it is Monday, you know what time it is. It is Jessica Burbank time. Jessica, so glad to have you here with me. I know during our break, we were talking about theme songs, but I think, or pump music to get us pumped up. But I think the intro to the show is pump, gets us pretty pumped. Yeah, we need that on Spotify so we can just put it at the beginning of our playlist. That's a great idea. <laughs> we might have to pull, do that. So listen, this is what we have in store for everybody today. Trump gives one Florida man a new nickname. It is hilarious. Half a million people are working two full-time jobs to survive. Not funny at all. And we're talking with two abortion rights activists who were arrested. They were protesting at the Supreme Court of the United States. We're talking to two of the three. So this you don't want to miss. So I just, just watch this. Trump at 71, Ron DeSanctimonious at 10%, Mike Pence at seven. Oh, Mike's doing better than I thought. Oh, it's so hard to hold back the laughter. Ron is sanctimonious. When they go in on each other, it is hilarious. President Trump is good at giving folks nicknames. So that was him, the 45th president of the United States of America, creating drama as only he can do at a rally in Pennsylvania on Saturday, November the 6th. He was refer he was referencing a poll of preferences for the GOP nomin nomination for president in 2024. Yes, folks, the battle for 2024 has already started. And I, you heard it here, 2024 presidential election for both sides is going to start on Wednesday. Trust and believe me, that's when it's really gonna start. So the slight at DeSantis has already added to a growing dispute between the two as they seek to take hold of the face of the GOP. The former president has long claimed a kind of ownership stake in the rise of Mr. DeSantis, who was a relatively anonymous backbencher for six years in Congress when his underdog campaign for governor in 2018 was lifted by Mr. Trump's endorsement. That is coming from an article in the New York Times. Mr. Trump has been particularly irritated by the separation Mr. DeSantis has created between them from criticizing the COVID-19 vaccines developed during the Trump administration to endorsing Joe O'Day, the Republican Senate candidate in Colorado just days after the former president criticized him. The diss created a total meltdown on the right. Let's take a look at some of the tweets that went out over this. You have Neither is perfect, but I vote for Trump or DeSantis in 2024. I don't see how Trump attacking DeSantis before a major midterm is beneficial to Trump or America at large. That is all. And next up we have also nice job launching your public attack against the most popular conservative governor in America three days before the midterm when we're all supposed to be showing a united front. Now folks who know Mr. Trump knows he don't play those kind of games. United front, what united front? This is all about President Donald J. Trump. Here's what some folks on the left had to say about that. L-M-F-A-O, so that's laughing my fill it in. Uh, behind off. I heard Trump has a nickname for DeSantis, Ron DeSanctimonious. And all I have are visions of them just destroying each other. Excellent. And then next, I love that Trump and DeSantis are fighting. It's hilarious. Now, of course, Trump's gravitation towards naming folks, putting these stupid names out here that only really make sense to him. This is not new. Watch this. 
Sleepy Joe Biden. Lion Ted Cruz, Lion Ted. Crooked Hillary. Crazy Bernie. Kamala. Yep, he is an absolute expert at throwing out those names. Here are a few others of the greatest hits of President Donald J. Trump. Broken Old Crow, that was for Mitch McConnell. Little Marco for Marco Rubio. Shifty Shift for Adam Schiff. Crying Chuck for Chuck Schumer. Boom Face, that's for George Conway. And Sleepy Ben Carson, yeah, during the the presidential run. This is the nicknames that Mr. Trump decided to give folks, Jessica. I think you're muted. There we go. That was on my end. It wasn't the tech issues. Yeah. But it's okay. Listen, this is hilarious. I'm I'm on the camp that it's funny when DeSantis and Trump are fighting each other. And Trump is a guy who operates only on his ego. He doesn't care about the party. We know this. And DeSantis got a little bit too much in the spotlight for Donald Trump's liking. So they really played themselves, making an egoist the head of their party and their movement. And I, I hope we get more nicknames like this one. But it is funny that his chosen insult is, hey, this guy pretends to have morals. Me? I don't even pretend. That's that's where the, the line is drawn between these two. <sighs> Oh, that is just so beautiful. Just I'm right with you. I found it hilarious. I really did. And it couldn't happen to a better guy. Both of these folks are egomaniacs and they deserve, they should not be holding any great positions. So there it is, the infighting. On to more serious matters. Feed the kids. Damn, why can't we feed the kids in America? Why the young the lunch program? We should be able to feed every child in America who's going to school. What is up with that? We we bus, we put them on buses when they need, we get them the transportation. What's the big deal about letting the school lunch program aspire? So no child should ever go hungry, no human being should ever go hungry. I mean, we should definitely aspire to make that happen, especially in this hegemonic nation of ours, the United States. But unfortunately, that is not what is happening. The free lunch program has ended across the country. Take a look at this real this headline, universal free lunch has ended. Students can't learn if they're hungry, true that. Now that COVID era free lunch meals for all have expired, many parents are fearing for their finances and the health of their children. I don't even understand why the program would end, but there we go. That's our Congress, this is what is happening in America. That headline was made from August. The new school year started in September and here are more details on this travesty. A COVID era universal free lunch program has expired this academic year. Free or reduced meals are still available for those who qualify and go through an application process. But even so, many parents are worried about their finances and their ability to feed their children. And we can understand why parents are worried about that. Inflation is eating up almost every dollar and dime that they have. People don't have a whole lot of spare money right now. And so you would worry, they should worry, but so should all of us too, because those children are our children as well. An estimated 10 million children now no longer have access to free lunch, according to the agriculture department, because their parents are above, or in many cases, just barely over the poverty line. In addition, low income parents who may qualify must go back to filling out forms and applying for free or reduced lunch and often onerous process. That makes no sense to me, Jessica. 
Yeah, it makes no sense to me either. The fact that children can be in debt for their school lunch as well is insane and be refused lunch if they need something to eat. When we think about public goods, we all work, we all pay into a pool. No one can run a school on their own. We depend on public schools and some people send their kids to private and charter schools. But the theory is, is that if we all pay in, we should pay into the things that allow a child to get a good education, which includes being fed. You can't learn when you're hungry, countless studies show that children do not retain information if they're hungry. So if we provide lunch for all students, it gets rid of that class division in the school lunchroom where some kids have packed lunch, some kids are getting refused lunch from the cafeteria because they can't afford it. Instead, just give everybody lunch, feed all of the kids, save the parents and caretakers the trouble of packing a lunch. It's a simple solution. It really is, Jessica, and given that if we couple that with the expiration of the child tax credit, it just really exacerbates an already troubling pattern. Just one more headline before we go to break. I want folks to see what some folks at Fox had to say. Let's put this up, Fox Martha McCullum and Larry Kudlow attacked school lunch programs. These kids are all going to grow up thinking, well, school lunch is free. I mean, how heartless. Can you be? You mean they're gonna grow up thinking that school lunch is free, but meanwhile, back at the tax breaks for Wall Street, what are they thinking? You ain't got problem with corporate welfare, but when it comes to helping working class families and poor families and their children, you have a problem. And this is coming from the party of family values. Lord help us all. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the show. You know that this is my favorite part to read the comments of some of our viewers. So we have on Twitch, Socialist Dragon says, always so psyched to see Nina and the Cleveland background. Sending Cleveland love to everyone. Thank you so much, Socialist Dragon. And on YouTube Super Chat, we have BMW says, shaking my head, it's inhumane to deny children food and education. True that it is very inhumane and this country yeah. should be ashamed of itself and the elected leaders should be ashamed of themselves, but some of them have no shame. So we the people have to keep pushing. Now do not forget Brittany Griner, never want you to forget her. You know an unbossed, we bring her up every single episode that we have. Hashtag we are BG, we are BG. Please send love and support to her family and to her. There are people working on the other end of this to still try to bring her home. We will keep hope alive. I'm quoting the great Reverend Jesse Jackson on that, but we're gonna put some sweat equity behind that hope. Let's let's bring her on home. And then do not forget our sisters and brothers and family and friends in Jackson, Mississippi. You can help TYT, go to tyt.com slash relief. That is tyt.com slash relief. I am so excited to have two of the three women that brought it to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. And that's Rhonda Baker and Emily Patterson. So I just wanna bring everybody up to date so that we are flowing the same on this. On November the 2nd, three women stood up inside the Supreme Court to denounce the Dobbs decision that repealed Roe v. Wade and called on the women of America to vote to restore the freedom to choose. Emily Patterson, Rhonda Baker and Nikki Enfield. Nikki is not with us, 
But we got two of her sisters right with us. They did a dignified nonviolent protest on behalf of tens of millions of women in America whose right to control their own bodily autonomy was attacked by this right wing Supreme Court and they standing up. Oh My God, it's so good to have both of you here, Ms. Baker and Ms. Patterson. Thank you so much for standing up for tens of thousands of women in this country. You all are courageous. So given the situation we find ourselves in, we know that the, the Congress did not expand the filibuster to at least carve out, make a carve out for role. We have an extremist right wing Supreme Court. What made you still, the three of you, still decide that you're gonna stand up and show some civil disobedience before that Supreme Court? And Ms. Baker, we'll start with you. Well, I was in, I, I'm 71 years old and I, I was 23 when Roe v. Wade came in. Uh, at 19, I had an abortion. I was lucky enough to have a, a boyfriend who not only supported me, paid for us to have that abortion. And when that happened, we realized that we needed to help other women. So we did a few trips from Indiana to New York. And in 72, when it became legal in Illinois, from Indiana to Illinois until 73. So I've been involved in women's rights for a very, very long time. When the Dobbs decision happened, I knew I had to stand up. Um, disabled or not, I knew I had to do something. We had to get the women of this country to realize they must vote tomorrow. They must vote for all of my, I, I'm a great grandma, for all of our grandchildren and great grandchildren and all of the women today. And so that was my my desire. And that's why I got on a plane from Arizona and came to the United States. I mean, came to, the oh, States, to, came to Washington. I meant to yeah. say that Washington, sorry. No, no, we know exactly what you meant. And you are a retired teacher as well, 34 years teaching a mother, a grandmother, a great grandmother. And you decided to put all that experience. You're an activist, you've been an activist for a very long time. That is what you do and you are still. And one of the things you said in describing yourself, I am disabled, which is a major pain, but that will not deter me from continuing to fight in the struggle. You are an inspiration is what you are. <laughs> and Ms. Patterson, the same question for you, knowing that the headwinds are against us on this, what made you join two other of your sisters to stand up in that Supreme Court and let them know what they did was wrong? Yeah, thank you, Senator, for having me. Um, I am a very different experience from Roland. Um, I've never been arrested before. I've never participated in civil disobedience before. Um, I am a suburban soccer mom and CEO. My husband is a retired military officer. Um, this was way out of my comfort zone. But um, over the last few years, I've just been watching as our democracy slowly gets dismantled. And with the Roe decision being repealed um, last spring, it just felt like um, it was a warning shot across the bow that our rights are being just taken away from us as we watch. Um, and I had always kind of asked myself, what would I have done if I had been alive during the civil rights uh, movement? Would I have been involved? Would I have had the courage? Um, you know, you don't know those things until it, it happens to you. Um, so when I was presented with this opportunity, I did a lot of soul searching and I felt like I live a very comfortable life and I need to get involved um, and I need to stand up against a ruling that's unjust. Um, I think it's our moral obligation to stand up and protest when 
something unjust is happening. Um, so that's what motivated me to join this um, action. And we did it a week before the election because our big, um, we're really trying to get American women to understand that this election is about abortion. So women, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, this is about your human rights. And so we wanted to remind women, um, the Republicans are about to try to pass a um, nationwide abortion ban. We can't let that happen. I don't care what yeah. your beliefs are, we gotta vote. So that's really why we, we, um, we joined together on this. So glad you did, I mean, bodily autonomy, the GOP talks a lot about freedom. I don't think you are as free. I mean, it doesn't, freedom doesn't get more impactful than being able to control your own body. And so I don't know That's how right. straight face they could talk about freedom right. and then take away a woman's right to make a choice. Exactly. You know, because that's really what we're talking about, the right to be able to make a choice. So Given, I mean, what what can women and and men who support women's right to choose? Because we do have a lot of men out there who support the right. You know, I don't know people who jump up for joy necessarily for abortion in the way that the pro-lifers want to make it seem. What we are about is that abortion is part of reproductive health, and a woman That's should right. have a right to make that choice unabated by some men, mainly men. I mean, some women on that side too. God help them, but by men who don't get it and it's none of their business. You know, it's just none of their business. So what can people out there who want to see this restored, what can they do to be a part of uh, of this journey? Because that's exactly what it is. Talk, speak up, tell what, what is going on, tell your story. We've uh, here in uh, Tucson, we've been talking about telling our stories. My generation, we kept very quiet. Many, uh, almost all of my friends have had at least one abortion, but we never talked to each other about those abortions. We started doing that about two years ago, where we told our stories to make it known that it is more normal than not normal. Um, over the years of a woman's ability to have children, to have the, the ability to have that choice to to have abortion. I want to also say abortion is healthcare. People yeah. seem to forget that piece, but abortion is absolutely healthcare. Um, that's my take. I'm sorry, Emily. No, you're fine. Thank you very much. And Emily, just very quickly. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, we all have power, and that's something I think that we are taught to not believe. We all have some power. Um, some of us have more power than others. So I would say, what can you do in your own sphere of influence, right? Like, can you write a letter to your newspaper? I mean, voting is the minimum we do, right? We, That's we right. All need, we all need to get uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying everyone should get arrested at the Supreme Court, but everyone can do something. And so that was, we we're really hoping to inspire other women and people with uteruses to speak out and to realize that they have power and they have a voice and to use that. Well, I think you all, you have inspired women and men and others who support a woman's right to control her bodily autonomy. That is vitally important as part of being a free thinking human being in the world. 
So just I want to thank you both so much and big ups to Nikki too, who's not here. We appreciate you and your courage and keep on pushing. We're going to keep fighting on this. Take thank yes, you so are. much. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Senator. Thank you for the opportunity. Our pleasure. God bless. Oh, we're rolling right into the next story. A little election intimidation is going on just a little bit. And here we are just one day out from election day and voters and poll workers are facing the threats and intimidation tactics all across the country. Watch this. This is headquarters. Yes, this is the elections office. This area has changed. It's more secure now than it was. Correct. Um, and there's panic buttons. There's panic buttons Each underneath. Clerk has a- really tried to harden the office as a target as much as we could. Those safety measures extend way past the doors of his office. And I have had some incidences in in the past where people followed me back to my neighborhood. You were followed. That prompted me to start talking with the sheriff about. You know, personal safety. Uh, he recommended that I wear a, a ballistic vest whenever I feel necessary. I wear one pretty much every single day. Now, we're talking about America here. And this elections official was advised to wear a ballistic vest to go to work as an elections official. I, I do, I, I mean, I do, I want you to sincerely. Wrap your mind around what that man just said and what I just repeated. In America, because you got these crazies out here who want to intimidate people from the ballot box. Not only do they want to intimidate the voter, they want to intimidate the people who work there. Voter intimidation is a crime. We don't hear the right wingers talking about that. I need you to, Jessica, just jump on in here now. They got my blood boiling over this. Right, so we're already in a situation where tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of voters get purged from the voter rolls. It's difficult to get registered to vote in the United States. Everybody's not even automatically registered. There's drop boxes now, voting early and mail-in voting has become more accessible under the pandemic, but it's still extremely difficult for people to vote. Voters have been disenfranchised, gerrymandered so that their vote is diluted. And now we have people who fundamentally don't believe in democracy. It's already difficult for people to vote in the United States, especially voters of color, especially black people. And now you have people trying to intimidate people not not to voting, not to casting their ballots, but also elections officials who are just trying to make sure the process happens and the the votes that are cast are counted. It's disgusting. It really is, and people are concerned. Let's take a look at this headline. Showing that people are concerned. This headline was from yesterday. Election officials combat voter intimidation across US as extremist groups post armed militia at some polls. That, I mean, they should be arrested on site because voter intimidation is illegal. And we're not talking about, we're talking about an industrialized nation known as the United States of America in 2022 having to deal with this foolishness and mayhem. It really is going back to the time of reconstruction. We are going backwards in this country over this because of these crazies. And remember these men from back in October who were captured outside boxes in Mesa, Arizona? Yeah, this is America. Welcome to America 2022 when it comes to, to voting. And these scare tactics are working. New data from Rutgers shows this. 43% of people are concerned about threats of violence while voting. America's fears about upcoming midterm elections. 
I mean, I have not seen anything quite like this at least in my in my lifetime in terms of being an adult lifetime. Cannot believe that these people are doing it, but this is exactly what these people are doing. Election crimes break down into three categories. You got ballot and voter fraud, you got campaign finance violations, civil rights violations such as voter suppression or voter intimidation. That's coming from the FBI National Press Office. Election crimes break down into those categories. Voter intimidation is part of those categories. And an election crime becomes a federal crime when one or more of the following occurs. A ballot includes one or more federal candidate, one or more federal candidates, election or polling places, officials abuse their office. The conduct involves false voter registration. The crime is motivated by hostility towards protected minority groups. The activity violates federal campaign finance law. So again, a reminder, voter suppression is a federal crime like, but somehow yet these Republicans are getting away with this. We cannot let them do that. So let's keep on pushing and keep track of this. Foolishness and mayhem, to quote a dear friend of mine. Well, working two jobs in America is a reality, not by not Not because people want to do it, but because they have to do it. We are going to explore that and more on tomorrow's show. But I just had to put that out there. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the show. Amazing, amazing interview with our reproductive health freedom fighters, sending them all the love. I'm so glad that they did what they did. Uh, let's go to viewer comments. Urban Hermit says the unbossed intro music reminds me of 1970s era shaft music genre. Genre, love it. Me too, Urban Hermit. I'm right with you. I love that vibe as well. That's coming from our TYT member. And on Twitch, Fluffy says, "Great show, Nina. Keep." Up the good work, guys. Thank you so much, Fluffy. We will definitely do that. And on YouTube Super Chat, Manuel says, Nina, you stimulate me to get up and fight for the freedom of all humans. Oh, Manuel, thank you so much. And I hope that we're pumping up other folks to do the same. Many thanks to all of you who are subscribers and viewers to T to the TYT network. We could not do what we do without you. We appreciate you so much. You are a vital part of the success of this network and also this show. I'm sending you all so much love. And speaking of love, I have a woman here that I love and admire. We have Councilwoman Cheryl Stevens. She is a county councilwoman here in Cuyahoga County. And she is also a lieutenant governor candidate on the Democratic ticket running with Nan Whaley, who's running as governor. They are a ticket and if they win, they will make all kinds of history in the great state of Ohio. And it's something about seeing two women run on the same Ticket. I cannot believe we're still seeing that as miraculous. Well, actually, Senator, we will make national history. Never before in the 50 states and the four territories that the United States owns have two women been the governor and lieutenant governor and run on the same ticket together. So we will not only crack the glass, we will shatter it nationally. Yeah, this I mean it's it's amazing. And while we're on that point, understanding how steep of a mountain that is to climb, period. And you have held offices, you have fought many good fights. This is a next level of the fight. 
What is it? What was it about being able to run on this ticket? What was it? What motivated you to do this? What motivated with me, you know that I fell in love with housing and economic development when we were babies. Yes. The ability to change how people live and the fact that you create jobs by building housing and families who have jobs in the construction energy industry make better, way better, three times as much as minimum wage or living wage. And that if we help small business owners own their own businesses with the right kind of financing, they can grow and create more jobs. And that our communities are healthier because we have the right kind of housing and development finance policy. That's how Nan got me to do this. Because and you, you are quite the expert on that. I, I remember us having many conversations. I know that that is near and dear to your heart. The, the economy is the top priority for most Americans. It is the same in Ohio as well. Ohioans are feeling the pinch, higher gas prices, higher food prices, just total fatigue with this. A 2022 Wallet Hub survey placed our state as having one of the worst economies in the country. They, they, it was us along with Kentucky. What policy positions are you pushing that will help to change the material conditions of our fellow Ohioans and also show us a beacon of light nationally. Well, you know, unfortunately, Democrats don't um, control the ability of big business to price gouge. Now we can get the legislature to pass legislation that limits what where they can put their pricing. But that's really what's happening to us right now. We have these international organizations that are adding something on to each thing we buy that has to be transported by an oil consuming mode of transportation. And as long as that happens, we will not be able to control some of our pricing because some prices go up based on transportation costs. And that's why you have to get people who care about where the pricing comes from, because everyone wants to blame the Democrats for having done this. That's not correct. And let me get one thing straight. Democrats don't want Americans to be poor. We like wealthy people. We want you to be able to build a business of your own and grow that business so that you can literally lend yourself money. Uh, We like money in democratic cycles and worlds. And so because of that, we want people to understand that we have to have a mix in our House of Congress, a mix in our um, Senate. We need a predominance of folks who will think openly and be willing to stand up to folks who would change our pricing in such a way that they would break American families. We'd also be willing to make some concessions on ga- on the pricing of gas and the taxes that go on gases. And so there are several ways that we can help the average Ohio family and then lead the way nationally from families to be treated better. Because we let's definitely- face it, They're the heart of it all, having families to grow and make our communities better. Well, we definitely need that and it is about unfettered greed. I totally agree with you. Look, I grew up poor, not trying to die that way. 
you know, it is about wealth of health, of body, of mind, being able to take care of yourself and your family if you have one. That is what it's about. And you know, kind of like even on tomorrow's show, we're going to be talking about how people now are forced to work two whole jobs, not because they want to get a little extra, extra, being forced to work two full jobs because they need that to survive. And so we do need people elected to office who actually care about the material conditions of the average person in this country. And I know that is why you were called to public service. And I know that is why you are on the ticket right now. So what our is, simple what, what, phrase is, uh, we want your income to go up, your expenses to go down and your government to work for you. What does amen. that mean? Fifteen dollars yeah. a minimum uh, an hour should be the minimum wage, not where you think you hope to get someday. That's right. That's right. And seven dollars and twenty-five cent federal minimum wage. Nobody can support a family or themselves. I mean, at least here in Ohio, our minimum wage goes up with inflation, but it's still only a little over eight dollars, and that is nowhere near enough. Counselor, what are you hearing on the trail? Two questions, two part questions. What are you hearing on the trail? Number one, and number two, what do you want people to to think about as they go to vote? Uh, tomorrow here in Ohio. What I'm hearing on the trail is that the polls have us behind. However, the only poll that counts to Nan Whaley and Cheryl Stevens is the one, the voting poll that closes at 7.30 tomorrow evening. And I'm hoping that voters across this state know that we will champion the American dream for them. That their babies will get a quality public education if we're in a leadership role. Because a quality public education allows you to do some phenomenal things for yourself. Whether you want to be a plumber and own your own business, fixing the pipes of a family. And you know they make $125 an hour these days. <laughs> and. You could go to the Ohio State University and get a degree in physics and become a rocket scientist. So we want you to have the full range of dreams that are part of America's what do I want to be or do when I go up for a living. And then thirdly, the way most Americans, whether they're working class or middle class, build their wealth is to own a home of their own. And you know, if I could give every American the ability to buy a home of their own, whether it's a farm in Tuscaroras County or a condo in downtown Cleveland, I would do it immediately. And there are ways to make these homes more affordable and obtainable by working with lenders in the Federal Home Loan Bank and the Federal Reserve and the US Department of Housing and Urban Development. So everybody can build wealth in this country and we are not holding it out for a hand. Because the guys who are leading this state right now would have every Everyone, because both of us live in Greater Cleveland, would have us poorer, not wealthier, and that's just wrong. Yeah, it's totally unacceptable, Councilor. How do people reach you all? Reach the campaign? I know that we're the clock is ticking, but still, if people want to find you, where do they find you? Nanwhaley.com is one of the ways, or Cheryl at WhaleyStevens.com. Well, there it is. Well, Council Lady, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Your leadership. Thank you for being the woman in the arena among another woman in the arena. We really do need you. You are a Thank fighter you. for all you know, time. We support each other and yeah. the belief that this is America and we can have that piece of a dream because people like us are committed to making sure everyone gets their shot. Yeah, you are. You're blazing a trail. You are a trailblazer. Thank you so much, Council Lady. Thank you for your support. Thank you, ladies. Bye-bye.
Bye-bye, appreciate you so much. That was Councilwoman Cheryl Stevens. Uh, she's running on a ticket. Lieutenant Governor here in the great state of Ohio has been serving the people for a very long time. And as I said, I'm really glad that she is in the arena. That two woman ticket is definitely blazing a trail for right now and for future generations and probably and and truly women who did not live to see this moment, you know? So cuz we fight for the past, for the present and also for the future. So big ups to them for doing this. Oh, we got a we got our our backbone today. Let's go. A little wisdom today from none other than our 32nd president to the United States of America, and that was President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So we know that President Roosevelt, he knew how to wield power. He understood that that power could not be wasted, that it had to be maximized in the moment because power is fleeting. You know, it doesn't last always, so you gotta use it. You cannot, you cannot waste it. So he came to power during the height of the Great Depression, a lot of misery. That is an understatement, a lot of misery happening in our country and also in our world. But he was a force and he helped to restore the belief of the American people, the American soul that we could get through that great depression. He held what many know as fireside chats. There are a lot of elders who remember those fireside chats. That was his way of communicating with the American people. He didn't have TikTok and he didn't have tweets and he didn't have Instagram, none of that stuff. Just an old fashioned sitting by the radio or the television and the president having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. For some elders that I have talked to over the years who, who were around at that time, who actually witnessed the fireside chats, they said they felt as though President FDR was talking directly to them. Because in moments of crisis, you need leaders who are going to allay fears and also leaders who have a vision to provide provision for the people, and that was FDR. Now we know ultimately what got us out of the Great Depression, it was WW2 that did ultimately do that. But before we got to that moment, President FDR assured Americans that we had the will, we had the fight, we had the bite, and we had the power to overcome this thing, that it was not going to take us down. And he also challenged his party, the Democratic Party, to be and to have a bold vision, to have a certain type of purpose. He didn't sit idly by and just slap people on the back and say, "Oh, you're of my party, so let me not criticize and critique you." Not only did he stand up to the forces within his own party, he stood up to the corporate forces of his time. He told them, "Baby, I welcome your hatred. Bring it." He did that, knowing that politically, what folks were going to try to do to him, he was so successful that they changed the rules. He is the longest serving president having served three terms. And because he was so beloved and because he understood how to wield power, they changed the rules of the game. Yeah, they did. But FDR, he did that. Not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. We know that the New Deal left out a whole, left out African American community and others. We got that. And I'm talking about this particular moment and this particular president at least having a bigger vision than many presidents have had since. So I wanna draw from him today 
a message about what's happening in the election. Let's put that up. Let us never forget that government is ourselves and not an alien power over us. The ultimate rulers of democracy are not the president and the senators and the congressmen and the government officials, but the voters of this country. I think President Roosevelt's vision and wisdom, you know, what he what he said here is something for us to remember as we go vote on election day, general election day of November 2022. He reminded us ultimately the power is in our hands and we should not yield that power to any other force. That we have a big decision to make during this election cycle as we do with every election cycle. And that is who are we going to give our power? Are we gonna give our power over to neo-fascists? And we need we know that neo-fascism cuts real quick. Or are we going to roll with the neoliberals reluctantly so that we can push back against them and create a country that lifts the least of these, our sisters and brothers and family and friends. We gotta do that, we got a decision to make. And I know for some of you, I hear it all the time. You feel as though you're voting for the lesser of the two evils, I get it. And at times you are actually doing that. I am not gonna sugarcoat this thing. But we have clear and present danger going on with the GOP, particularly on the federal level and they must be stopped. So take the words of President FDR and know that the power is ultimately in your hands, use it wisely. All right, election day, that is tomorrow. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I am lifting each and every one of you up. I love you and I appreciate you. You know what I want you to do. I ask you to do it every single day that we're together. I want you to keep the faith, but more importantly, I want you to keep the fight until tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.